Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, you guys weren't going to go at 11 and one pace the entire year, but I just, what is just the surprise or even the concern that it has kind of gone as south as, as quickly as it has, or as, as completely as it has, I should say? You know what? I, th- I don't think it's... Uh surprise i don't think i'm concerned it's just you know part of the game i think we you know what i tried to do as the manager is look at the way we're playing the game um you know if, if i just worried about results all the time and i understand that this game's all about winning games and we're, we're trying to win games every single day but to win the most games you can in a season you have to worry about other things than just the results that day and, uh, you know, I think we're all trying to stay focused on that because we know in the end that's what's really going to matter the most. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, May the 6th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time over at our friends, MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. You can also check us out over at The Grueling Truth, which is part of the iHeartMedia Network. You get us over there as well. Hope everybody's doing great. Uh, I'm sure you're all doing a heck of a lot better than the Mets. A full week of games have gone by since the last time we were on the air. Six games, six losses, three by shutout. Not a lot of offense. Tons of panic. 
out there in uh, the Metzaland, especially if you oh geez, if you're on Twitter, it's been a brutal it's been a brutal week if you're following sports on Twitter. Twitter is generally brutal. Talk radio's become brutal. Uh really hard when you when you try when you when you do a show like this to look at the game from how the GMs, the coaches, the managers look at it, when you try to learn how they look at it, and then you see how the fans react and what the fans demand and what the fans want, and it makes it really, really hard to uh, to take. But as you heard in the open there, Mickey Calloway is not panicking, and I know that probably doesn't sit well with uh, all of you. Mickey Calloway with the Mets uh, sitting now 17-15, and 15, which is disappointing after an 11-1 and one start. Uh, basically talking about the process. And I know that that's probably going to get some uh, chuckles out of you and and the media will say, hey, is Mickey just in over his head? But really, at the end of the day in baseball, and I think it was even Derek Jeter had talked about this at one point. I remember maybe he was in a slump and he hit a ball hard. And and I don't know what a writer asked. And he looked at the writer and basically said, hey, I could just control hitting the ball. After I hit it, uh, there's not much more I can do. And the real question when you manage a team, and this is the difference this year, I think, so far, because with Terry Collins, I didn't really think there was a plan, a process. I think Terry just sat back, and, and he was an old-school guy that just sat back and, and watched over the team. He was a caretaker. He was always a caretaker. That was what he was hired for. And the Mets didn't need a caretaker. They needed a manager. And I think Mickey Calloway has shown that he's trying to be that. I'm sure there's there's no surprise that there's going to be bumps in the road, and the Mets have really suffered this first thunderbolt in their season, but as a team, all Mickey Calloway can do, and none of us here listening, and myself included, know what the preparation is and who's putting the time in and who's not and who the team views as part of the solution, who the team views as not doing or putting in their time or, or, or holding their weight. Certainly, it looked like Matt Harvey was one of those guys that they knew wasn't going to turn things around, but if you go out, if all the players on this team are putting in the time, preparing, working to get better, uh, working on how to get out of this slump, especially offensively. You know, Steven Matz is a guy who has struggled at times this year. He came out, and they talked about the things he did on Saturday night uh, with only allowing one run against the Rockies to improve from prior appearances. He talked about you know not letting the game speed up on him, not... Uh, allowing something bad to happen, like the Arenado home run in the first inning, to ruin his night, something that you saw in some other outings against the Cardinals specifically. That's all Mickey Calloway could control. And if Mickey Calloway starts to panic and do too much shaking up, and if Sandy Alderson starts to panic and start too much shaking up, well, what does that tell the team? You don't want to be comatose. And Calloway's right. You know, there was, a, And I think it was Dino Costa, our friend Dino Costa over at AM 970, The Answer, that asked Callaway, well, you know, would you panic? And Callaway was like, at 30 games in, you don't panic. And the funny part here is, is after the 15th loss of the season here, and the Mets are about six and they were 11 and one. They're 17 and 15, so they're they're uh, they're six and 14 over the last 20 games. It's a pretty large sample size. Uh, they're two and eight in their last 10. You know, with 15 losses, that's two less losses, and maybe three if the, if the Nationals, who are losing, lose. That's a game, one more loss than the Phillies and the Braves. Uh, that's right there, one more loss than the Brewers and the Cubs. Uh, it's right there with Colorado, the team that they, they got swept by this weekend. Uh, they, they 
have the same amount of losses. And it's only four behind Arizona who have been off to a great start. So, you know, even with all this, what this stretch has done, which has eliminated a really incredible start, start that could have put them in a position to have a really special summer. And, and maybe you thought, and I know you guys all were thinking about it, kind of running away with the division. So to me, Callaway's correct. Uh, there is no reason to panic. There's no reason to get crazy. You do want to nip this in the bud. A six-game losing streak is not ideal. You don't want these to turn to 7, 8, 9, 10. And when you have two guys like DeGrom who will not start tomorrow, he's been pushed back, uh, and Syndergaard, you expect there not to be long losing streaks. The 1999 Mets had two losing streaks, one of nine games, and I believe the other was of seven games in September. They went 0-16 over a 16-game stretch, two stretches. That team won 97 games and, and went to the playoffs. So this is not unheard of. Is it something that you want? No, you don't want to go into these, these massively poor stretches. But they're going to happen, and I think the Mets fall somewhere in between. They're not an 11-1 team. No team in baseball is. Not even the Yankees, who have won 14 or 15 out of 16. Uh, and no team, unless they're really bad, is usually 6-14. and, and 14. There are some teams that are bad. You look at Cincinnati and Miami and teams like that. But, you know, the Mets don't fall into that. I don't see this as who they are. I don't see them as 11-1. I see this as a team, again, like I said, and I said this on, you know, WLIE as well last week, in addition to the podcast. This is a team that I think is going to be right there uh, with a bunch of teams definitely competing for the wild card. And, you know, depending on how things shake out in the division and how how high of a level they play, if they can play at that 90-win-plus level, which right now a lot of you or all of you are saying, nah, not going to happen. They could compete for a division. So, you know, to me, I think the approach is correct by Callaway. Uh, I'd be interested to see, you know, everyone's saying, you know, fire the hitting coach and shake the lineup up, send Conforto down. Guys, just take a step back. Uh, going to Cincinnati, one of the worst teams in baseball, certainly is the great medicine right now for this team. But you got to be careful. You go into the great American ballpark. You're You're going on the road. You're going... Uh, to a place where uh, the ball, it's a hitter's ballpark. You have P.J. Conlon starting one game. You have Vargas, who's struggling, starting the other. Wheeler, who struggled recently, to start another. So who knows? But, you know, right now, uh, you're not, if you're listening to this podcast and you're expecting me to rant and rave and get crazy and start throwing out all sorts of solutions, I've told you since the beginning, that's not what I feel it's all about right now. And uh, the approach, which is very Terry Francona-esque, in my opinion, by Callaway, is the right approach. Anyway, so there's a lot to talk about. That's the way I kind of started off here. I want to get into the Matt Harvey stuff. I want to talk a little bit about the DH uh, situation because it ties into DeGrom. And that's the – listen, there's one thing all week you want to talk about the real win this week is that DeGrom is not out long-term because that would have been a, a huge thunderbolt, a huge blow to this team. And the fact that they're skipping him to be cautious I think is the right move. And, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, you don't want in a week that's 0-6 is not a lot of positive. The fact that DeGrom is not out for any length of time is a tremendous positive. So uh, so we'll talk about Harvey. We'll get into the whole DH because I think it, it's an interesting conversation uh, with uh, Callaway's comments about pitchers hitting in the National League. Tim Britton of The Athletic will join me. Uh, Tim Britton is uh, the Mets beat reporter for The Athletic. The Athletic is a uh, pay site. It's a subscription site. They uh, basically do all baseball and, and all sports, and it's, uh, it's a new startup, and it's an interesting uh, project. And Ken Rosenthal's over there. Uh, they have some pretty big names over there. Uh, Jason Stark, 
formerly of ESPN, is over there. So Tim Britton will join me. I actually had a chance to catch up with him before the Mets took on the Rockies. So you're actually hearing something from earlier today when he, he and I spoke right after the Mets had announced the Jacob deGrom uh, being pushed back, being put on the DL. We talked about Matt Harvey. We got into a, a bunch of stuff. So you'll hear Tim Britton in just a little bit. Uh, and then later on tonight, uh, I don't know when you guys are picking this up, if you're picking this up early Sunday evening or after, but if you are, uh, I will be co-hosting and, and actually not co-hosting. Rich Catino is going to be on assignment. I will be taking Rich Catino's spot on his New York sports wrap on WLAE, 8.30 to 10 p.m. on uh, 5.40 a.m. WLAE. So, We'll be talking about the Knicks, we'll be talking about the Mets, we'll get into a lot of Yankees, there's a lot to talk about, so it won't be just a Mets-centric show, it'll be all New York sports, so um, check that out if you so desire, and I actually put those appearances on WLE on the Talking Mets podcast feed, so if you're a Mets fan and you're not interested in hearing anything but the Mets, then just ignore it and just download the regular podcast with the Mets talk, you'll probably hear some of the similar commentary that I'm giving you right now. Um, so, you know, to, they may, you may not want to get into the Knicks and the Yankees. You may not want to hear me talk about other sports, so that's up to you. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, we'll get into this whole Matt Harvey thing. I have a few thoughts about this. And, uh, and then we'll talk about this whole DH National League. Yeah, Tim Britton later. So, let's take a quick break. When we return, I'll talk a little bit about the Matt Harvey situation and, uh, I guess, put a little bow on top of Matt Harvey's career with the Mets. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Mickey, why did you feel today after yesterday that the bullpen was not going to work for Matt anymore if he wanted to get back on track? I don't think it was necessarily just yesterday's outing. I think it was just, you know, one of the several outings out of the bullpen that, you know, became evident to Dave Island and myself that, him getting to where he needed to be out of the bullpen probably wasn't something that was realistic. You know, I thought that the route that Roy Halladay and um, Cliff Lee uh, took when they went all the way back down to A-ball and kind of rebuilt themselves after winning 60, 70 games in the big leagues um, was probably a more appropriate route uh, to help Matt Harvey the best we could. And, uh, you know, it was more more just we didn't think that that was a good, you know, spot um, and maybe an unfair spot after looking at the outings he had to try and do what we, we thought we could help him with. Both you and Dave were pretty confident this offseason that you could help Matt for it to be May 4th and, and this to be where you're at. Just how surprising is that for you on a, on a personal level? Oh, it's tough for both of us. We, we feel like we failed Matt Harvey. You know, I think our job is to help every player in there. And it's not a good feeling when you can't. Um, so, you know, we have to obviously get better at our jobs, too. You know, Justine, I'm surprised that it happened now. I, I My reporting, which I still believe was accurate from as, as recently as six, seven days ago, was that the Mets had not even engaged this idea yet. Clearly, they were expecting to divorce from Matt Harvey at the end of the season when he became a free agent. This relationship has long since gone sour between player and team. Uh, potentially, we're going to release him later in the year if the bullpen thing didn't work out. Uh, but really, until the last couple of days, and perhaps even until the game yesterday, where he not only had a, a terrible appearance out of the bullpen, uh, but 
once again just endured a week where Sandy Alderson had to talk about a page six report publicly. Uh, he told the media uh, to go away in profane terms. There's just like so much drama that keeps springing up that clearly they got sick of it. And as Sandy said, uh, they determined that this was the best thing for Harvey, too, which I agree with. I think that he maybe could still be a good major league pitcher, uh, but not here. Not with all this water under the bridge. Not with all the issues that have gone on with organization, team, city, tabloids. It's time for everybody to move on. I think they were all sick of each other. And if you're going to do it in a month, why not do it now? We're back, and you heard Mickey Calloway and some of the guys over at SNY, Andy Martino, talk about the end for Matt Harvey, which I was surprised, not totally surprised, but when I saw the, the MLB trade rumor alert come across my phone on Friday afternoon. Um, you know, there's really, for me, I don't have a lot of nostalgia about Matt Harvey. I mean, that's the interesting part. I don't get caught up in all the comic book character stuff and the Seaver comparisons. To me, I'm just about I'm about the overall team and where teams are going and kind of enjoying the ride of each season. As much as sometimes they're not always fun rides, and certainly there are parts of every season that aren't fun, just like what the Mets are experiencing right now. But what I'll say about Matt Harvey is this. I I do not think any of this divorce, which was for years inevitably going to come to an end at the end of the 2018 season, had to do with him partying. You know, I heard a report someone had told me very credible apparently that he showed up late again. You know, I tweeted that out. It's it's you know, and Harvey was you know the team was just basically hey you know they're numb to this stuff by now. Andy Martino over at SNY on the Mets blog wrote about how even as Early as 2014, during his rehab assignment, things went sour between the organization and Harvey because he didn't want to uh, rehab in Port St. Lucie. He wanted to be in New York. He wanted to be able to have a life. He wanted to be able to go to Rangers games and have, go to the you know the hot spots. Look, rehab is, is boring. Rehab is tough. You basically you do two, three hours early, and then you're in Port St. Lucie, and there is absolutely nothing to do except for Duffy's. So you can't blame the guy, but it's your job, and probably from a focus standpoint – it's something that would be good for you. And, uh, but Matt Harvey was, is a different kind of guy. He did, from a player standpoint, everything you could have asked in 2015. He came back. He pushed himself. His agent didn't want him to go past a certain amount of innings limits. He pushed himself to basically uh, you know, try to help pitch this team into the World Series. You can't complain when Matt Harvey was healthy. You really can't complain much about Matt Harvey on the field. I don't think anything uh, can be said about that. Is he a likable guy? No, he never was a likable guy. Was he a great teammate? No, he probably wasn't a great teammate. I heard, you know, I talked to someone who was part of the Mets when he first came up, and he annoyed them pretty early, pretty much early on when he was first brought up. Uh, he was always about himself and his brand, and sometimes to be a great athlete, you have to be like that. So I can't really complain about Matt Harvey when healthy up until 2015, the player. Quite simply, Matt Harvey has been, since 2016, a compromised player. Thoracic outlet syndrome is a serious injury. It's a nerve injury. No player really has ever come back and been dominant from it. It's ended careers. Chris Carpenter, Josh Beckett, uh, Jeremy Bonderman's a name you guys might remember, a guy who was a, a really good pitcher. He, he had, I believe, thoracic outlet syndrome. 
yeah, you have Chris Young types that come back later in their career and kind of are able to navigate and be league average, maybe slightly below and be valuable, but nobody's ever gone back to being elite. And in a Mets uniform, that's what Mets fans and Mets, the Mets themselves probably were waiting for, for Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey right now is not a big league pitcher. So to make this all about the divorce and where they were going and the issues, you know, you heard Sandy Alderson. He, this was all about performance on the mound, and I think Callaway is correct. He had to go back down, all the way back down to Class A, reinvent himself a la Roy Holiday, a la Cliff Lee, and figure out how is he going to be Matt Harvey 3.0 because 2.0 was 2015. And I went to – and I was on a, 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 the Carolina Sports Network. They have a, a great midday show, uh, Mojo and Cavacus, and that's Atlanta Braves County, uh, country down there. And I was on. I was a guest right before the Braves and Mets series. And they asked me about Harvey, North Carolina guy. On their midday show, and I basically said that this is on this is on Tuesday, I believe Monday or Tuesday. He's done. When I go to pitch FX data over at Texas Leaguer, and I see a guy that went from a 95 plus mile an hour fastball, a change uh, slider that was about 90 miles an hour, and a changeup that was 83. That's a dominant pitcher, a pitcher who had a slider that bit at 90 miles an hour, a fastball that moved that could overpower hitters. The guy now. Throws a 92-mile-an-hour flat fastball. His changeup is only five mile an hour less. Uh, his slider is in the high 80s and has no bite, and he can't really command it, it, it appears. So it's not even a strike. They're going to spit on it. That's not a major league pitcher. That's it. Period. End of story. So this is, has nothing to do about anything but the fact that Matt Harvey's not a major league pitcher. The only pathway to success was not the bullpen, was not just leaving them out there because the Mets cannot, in their position, they're showing you, and people talk about accountability. They're showing you that this is about winning. This isn't about scholarships. This isn't about getting Matt Harvey back to who he, uh, who he was. And maybe it's a lot easier now considering that he's on the last year of his team control to do this. Would they have done this if, even if Callaway and Island were in charge a year ago when they still had another year of control? Who knows? I have to think that Dave Island was pretty blunt. There's nothing there. There was no uptick in the bullpen. There was no process going back to that word from in the open. There was no process that indicated that Matt Harvey was anywhere near going to help this team. The only way this gets better for Matt Harvey is he goes down to the minors, and this is not one, two, three starts. This is a process. Who knows? Maybe he doesn't come back until September. But any team that takes him on is probably not going to be a contending team. I think it's going to be a team that's going to try to rebuild him, build a relationship within that organization, and hope that he says, you know what, I want to come back here next year. And who knows at that point. But the Matt Harvey that you see or will see going forward has to be a different pitcher than a guy that's trying to be the old Matt Harvey with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Because to me, that's just – that's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over again without you know, getting the same results. He can't overpower hitters anymore. Nobody's scared of him. He's, a, he's bad. And that's it. And is it sad? And is Tim Britton, who'll join us in just a little bit, or you'll hear that segment in just a little bit, is that like, because Tim wrote a piece about how like that kind of, like Matt Harvey's career arc is so like the Mets in their history where they have these, these great, bursts of success and then inevitably it seems like it ends in 
in a tease or colossal failure. Maybe. But even if you look at Matt Harvey's stats in the minor leagues, I mean, he came up, he had that incredible start in Arizona. He had 2013 season, which was incredible. I mean, he was dominant. Had no hit stuff every night. Conjured up memories of Doc Gooden and Tom Seaver. Was he given a lot too much too soon? Sure. But, you know, that's every athlete these days. I mean, we're, we're in an environment where everybody, seasons are decided and narratives are created every week. It's absurd. So, you know, to me, does, does this bother me? It bothers me because the Mets need an arm. Because right now, you don't know what you're going to get from Wheeler. Vargas has been bad. Uh, God forbid they have a serious injury in that rotation for any length of time. You're looking at a Corey Oswalt or a P.J. Conlin, and who knows what those guys can give you. I know they signed Vance Worley, a veteran. Who, who knows? So, you know, starting pitching right now, a strength, or the Mets thought were a strength because they figured they could get something out of Matt Harvey, something number three, number four league average, and they didn't. That was all I was looking for was maybe a number three. I never expected him to be better than that. So any other narrative that you have out there, any other conversation to me is a waste of time. Matt Harvey can't pitch anymore. And to even throw him out there, you know, you could say, oh, well, maybe they give him one more start tomorrow in Cincinnati. Why? You know what the outcome is going to be. He's going to get clobbered, especially in that ballpark. Time to move on. And maybe it was time. And Steve Phillips said something in the offseason, which I it was like, ah, you can't do that because you can't see him go somewhere else. That maybe the Mets should have done something that would have taken a little bit of guts and non-tendered him, reallocated that money, maybe got themselves someone better than Jason Vargas. Certainly a, an interesting second guess. I mean, the money, whatever it is, $4.5 million, whatever they have left, that they're going to say that they're going to eat. Can the Mets get anything back from him? Probably not. I mean, who the heck knows? It's probably going to lead to him being released. Mets paying his salary and someone else benefiting from it. And that happens. And so it goes. I mean, he's not the, it's not the, the first athlete for this to happen. It won't be the last. And right now, the, the, the Matt Harvey chapter should be closed. We shouldn't talk about him any further after this, this podcast. I won't, unless something changes between now and when he's released or traded in the next week. That'll be it. And it'll be – remember something here. I'll leave you with this. You'll never, he ne- you never could take away 2015. That was an incredibly fun season that ended in a pennant. And ended in some disappointment. And they never could take away the All-Star Game start. And they never could take away 2013. It will be a Mets memory. And it's something that you could say, hey, it could have been more. But the final thing on this is, for those teams that say, hey, or those fans that say, let's tank. If you tank to get a player, you just don't know what you're going to get. Because who would have thought that Jacob deGrom would be the ace on this staff? Because Jacob deGrom was a shortstop from Stetson University down in Florida. And the Mets drafted him late, and they developed him. You don't tank for Jacob deGrom, but you have Jacob deGrom. You just don't know. You don't know what these players, what they're going to be. That's why when you have an opportunity to go for it and win, you have to. The Mets did that in 2015 with Matt Harvey. You don't know if that it contributed to the injury. I think from a science standpoint, from a medical standpoint, you have to start to wonder, is this the next thing that the league should investigate? What is, what is this thoracic outlet syndrome? How does this happen? Is it innings? Is it genetic? But at the end of the day, this just debunks all the narratives that people throw out there about tanking, about, uh, about you know, certainty with the draft, about worrying about draft picks, about you know, protecting players because – and it's not about being reckless, but 
When you have a chance to go for it, you go for it. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the grueling truth at the uh, iHeart Media Network. Hey, take one more quick break. When we come back, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts on the DH and how it ties into where it should be in the National League. And then you'll hear uh, on the way out my conversation with Tim Britton of The Athletic. I had a chance to catch up with him earlier before the Mets took on the Colorado Rockies. He was at City Field covering the game. Uh, he's the beat reporter for the, for the Mets, for The Athletic. And if you're not a, a subscriber yet, you should check it out over at The Athletic. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Uh, a good way. Jacob DeGrom got hurt as a starting pitcher while hitting. And I guess I just need a reminder why one league still does that and one league doesn't. Nelson, what, what do you think? That's the way it was supposed to be. The pitcher was the guy in the middle making it all happen. Also got a chance to hit and help his own cause. I love the National League Baseball. I love being able to help my team. It, whether it's bunting, whether it's hitting, I don't overswing. I don't try and do too much. I'm not going to hit any home runs, but I would like to have a chance to sacrifice, put the ball in play, and do something to help my team win. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wonder about this. Chin Ming Wong got hurt. It probably wrecked his career in uh, years ago in Houston um, and, and probably ended up wrecking his career. So I've always been a purist too, Nelson, but I'm, I can see the DH and the NL now as a possible real thing. I'm a purist. It's antiquated, and it's an unfair advantage that the American League has. It makes zero sense any way you slice it to have it in one league and not in the other. But if you won the All-Star game, then you could have it in DH everywhere. We're back, and uh, you heard the guys over at SNY, Sal Licata and the gang over there talk about the DH. Look, Jacob DeGrom, his injury appears to have happened as a hitter, a little bit of a pull, and then I think, and as it is with the Cespedes injury today, and I watched Cespedes talk through his interpreter, it seems like he, he feels it's not the same as other quad injuries, that he's being a little cautious. Looks like the Mets are with DeGrom. Rightfully so. I'm sure if it was a playoff game or a big spot, I'm thinking that he would have pushed through it. I'm almost positive a guy like DeGrom would push through it. You're at a point where the game is changing, and you hear things about pace of play and all this other stuff. And the first thing's first, because the way pitchers are being handled have, has – we could argue about this. The best starters, the elite guys, like the Syndergaards, like the DeGroms, like the Kershaws, they'll go maybe 120 pitches. Stops. And that's not even consistently. The clock starts ticking. The bullpen starts going at 100 pitches. If you're going to strike out 8, 9, 10 per 9 innings, off the bat, 10 strikeouts is 30 pitches. So off the bat, 30% of your allocated pitches, let's say, are already taken. And that's if you strike them out on three pitches, which you and I know there's going to be foul balls, there's going to be full counts. So knowing that this is where the game is going and, and it's not changing, you're not going to pull it back, at least not now, even though things do go in cycles. You have to start to look at what is the right thing in terms of protecting these pitchers or giving the, or putting the best quality product out there. And to me, that's putting the DH universally in both leagues. Number one, the Mets today had a pinch hit with Thomas Nitto at the end. Nitto, I should say, I can say his name wrong all the time. Because they, are, they only have, uh, they have eight pitchers, 
They have uh, obviously the eight position players at 16. Um, they don't have more than a four-man bench, four or five-man bench. And this is because they need to carry these relievers. So what's better for the product to have the pitchers flailing away to potentially need a pitcher to pinch hit, to have uh, an inferior pinch hitter come up in the ninth inning, or to have the DH where, in theory, you'll have the best nine offensive players out there. You'll also be able to rest or use it as a way to rest guys like Cespedes, who may have a bulky uh, quad. Maybe David Wright, who can't play the field, but maybe if he ever could get him a chance to hit, which I don't think he can, Maybe his career would have been extended with the DH. Who knows? I know I'm throwing something way out there. But the point is, is that there's a value to the DH. And then also, you talk about, oh, but what about the strategy? What strategy? What, double switches? Knowing when to pull the starter? They're going to pull the starter based on the they, – they're not pulling the starter or keeping the starter in based on the lineup anymore. They're basing it on pitch counts. They're basing it on matchups. They're basing it on totally pitching. So, you're, you know, the whole thing about the starter, about – Strategy, it doesn't play. It doesn't play anymore. And it probably will speed up the pace of game because at this point, you're not going to have to worry about, uh, you know, sometimes as many of the machinations that come with, you know, the double switch coming in with, you know, hey, I'm going to pull my pitcher goes to one batter. Now they got to bring in another pitcher because he's coming up the next inning or get a. You know, an inferior product at the end when they run out of players. With a DH, is more than likely you're going to score more runs. You're going to probably have a better chance of extra innings not lasting as long. There's a lot of things, in my opinion, that are going to come into play. And it keeps your pitchers healthy. You heard in that clip. It's a very good point. Chiming Wong hurt his foot running the bases in Houston. He was never the same again. Now, that could happen with him covering a throw at first base. A pitcher could get hurt anyway. But the point is, why continue this and have two separate sets of rules in two leagues because of history? It's, at some point, you just have to say, let's do it. Now, you, what you're going to say here is, is the Players Association is afraid that it's going to add to salary because now you have another hitter that's going to play and get 500 plate appearances, put up some numbers. Let me tell you something. I understand that. However, at, your, at the rate you're going, the next conversation has to be expanding that 25-man roster to 26 or 27. Because if you're going to carry eight relievers, nine relievers, you have to expand that bench in the National League at least. You have to. You cannot continue. I mean, what happens if a catcher got hurt today? If Nitto got a hit, tied the game, and then he comes out and Lobatone gets hurt, you're putting Todd Frazier behind the plate. That's safe. That's quality. That's a quality product. I really think it's going to make a better product, which is what this is all about. I think it's going to increase pace of play because now you could pitch the starter. The starter could stay in maybe. You know, that's the other thing. If you have to pinch hit in the sixth inning, then you start going to a bullpen early when maybe you could push that starter an extra inning if that's the case. It, the strategy part that everybody talks about, I'm not sure, is really what people are looking at or enjoying when they're watching a game. I think that's just a, a lazy narrative. So to me, the time is now. It's not because Jacob deGrom now was potentially going to take a start tomorrow and not swing a bat, just like Robert Gazelman didn't swing a bat when he had the, the shoulder issue of his non-throwing shoulder a couple of years ago. Is that good baseball? Is that what you want? 
I mean, you could do this tomorrow. And I'm telling you, it's either do this or you have to have a serious conversation about expanding the roster because the bullpens have to be bigger now. There's not enough arms out there. They're not trained to go deep enough. It's just the, it's just the reality of what we're, we're dealing with here. Anyway, I got to get to Tim Britton. I had a chance to catch up with Tim Britton of The Athletic earlier today. Tim Britton is the Mets beat reporter for The Athletic. Let's hear what he has to say about Matt Harvey and the struggling Mets and Mickey Calloway and all the things I just went through over the last little bit. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMemorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Check me out at The Grueling Truth, which is part of the iHeart Media Network. When we come back, Tim Britton of The Athletic, who I caught up with before today's Mets-Rockies game over at City Field, right after this. We're back, and joining us is the Mets beat reporter for The Athletic, Tim Britton. If you guys haven't checked out The Athletic yet, you should. Uh, really great website, subscription plans, and really good coverage, but uh, it's well worth the investment. Uh, Tim's joining us right before the Mets take on the Rockies in the finale of the three-game series. Tim, welcome to the program. Uh, pretty packed uh, Sunday morning already over there at City Field, huh? Yeah, ha- happy to be here. Uh, less happy to report that Jacob DeGrom is not going to start on Monday, although the Mets, uh, Mickey Calloway making it clear that there isn't like a physical setback. It's just the team kind of thinking it over and deciding it'd probably be uh, best to be cautious with their ace uh, and put him on the disabled list and, and kind of target next Sunday against the Phillies as a, a comeback date for him, you know, after the, the elbow issue he had earlier this week. I guess they should have waited a couple more days to designate Matt Harvey for assignment, maybe get one more start out of him. You never know, huh? Ties kind of into your uh, your last piece about Matt Harvey. Um, you know, big topic of conversation. Obviously, you know, it was time for both sides to part ways, but you went a little deeper. You actually talked about how Harvey is, in his career arc with the Mets, ties into actually a lot of what Mets baseball has been about since 1962. It was quite an interesting take on the whole situation. But yeah, I just kind of thought about like that, like that career arc is kind of you know the, what, what is it the five stages of grief with the, the Kubler Ross model. Uh, I don't actually know what the five stages are, but it's just kind of like the four stages of being a Met to me, and that's to to kind of tantalize as a prospect to fulfill that potential, you know, however briefly, and then to frustrate and ultimately disappoint. Uh, and Harvey seemed to capture that uh, better than than maybe anyone else who played for the Mets because you know, coming up as a prospect, you know, that that start in Phoenix. Uh, his debut in 2012, I, you know, I know a lot of people, that's like a, I remember where you were moment for a lot of Mets fans, uh, seeing this guy come up and be as good uh, as, as people had said. And then the, throughout 2013 and then coming back from Tommy John in 2015, uh, the, the pitcher that he was, you saw kind of the fulfillment of promise in a way that a lot of Mets fans, a lot of cynical Mets fans didn't think was possible. And then, of course, you go on the other side of it uh, and you get 16 and 17. Uh, and now this year in 18 where you, you, you you know, no one could have seen this coming except maybe the most cynical of Mets fans. You know, Harvey's not even going to leave in, in free agency. We're just going to get DFA. It's going to be so bad by 2018. I mean, it's, it's kind of a remarkable story, a remarkable fall for him, uh, but, but one that kind of fits in with, with what's happened to this franchise over time with some of its most talented players and its best players at the major league level. I think everybody could talk about the attitude, his, you know, off-the-field stuff, and I know that's been a topic of conversation, and certainly that's been an issue and a problem. But at the end of the day, this is about thoracic outlet syndrome. And if you go 
back to the list of pitchers who have suffered from this very odd injury, there's really no benchmark of somebody going back to the level of what Matt Harvey was, and you almost have to reinvent yourself completely as a pitcher. And I'm not really sure that's going to be an easy one, two-year thing, and I'm not sure every pitcher can do that. And at times I feel like, especially in the last 48 hours or so, everybody's forgetting about that. This is more about the thoracic outlet, less about Harvey, in my opinion anyway, and his relationship with the Mets. Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, this, this is on-field results for the Mets. It's not really the, the off-field uh, haze that, that has always surrounded Harvey. I don't think it had much to do with this situation. Uh, I think it's the on-field results, and a lot of that stems from, like you said, from TOS, the thoracic outlet syndrome. You look through the history of guys. You know, a lot of guys had it later in their careers. Uh, like Chris Carpenter effectively ended his career uh, with the Cardinals. You know, Josh Beckett had it, I think, in 2013 and came back and pitched one more year. It was pretty good, but, you know, certainly wasn't really the same kind of pitcher uh, and then retired. Uh, you know, Jaime Garcia, I think, is the one guy who's come back and been decent, but it still is not the same type, you know, is not as good or the same type of pitcher he was before the injury. So it, it was weird when Harvey underwent it that this was a guy at his age, uh, to have, I think he was 27 at the time, uh, and a lot of times you're hearing about this, you know, for guys 34, 35 years old in their career. So there, there isn't a lot of history of, of power pitchers and even young power pitchers responding to it uh, that way. Responding to it to get back to their prior form, uh, and then with Harvey also, you have you know Dave Island said the other day, he, he can't pitch the way he used to. And I asked him, does he still try? He goes, oh yeah, old habits are hard to, to are hard to break. So I think there is a sense that that maybe Harvey still hasn't recognized that you know when the fastball is 93 instead of 97, uh, that the the, when the slider is 88 instead of 92. He can't go about things quite the same way that he used to. Uh, you know he had to make that every pitcher has to make that adjustment eventually. Harvey had to make it maybe a little bit sooner than most other guys because of the injury problems, and he hasn't been able to do it quite yet. Tim Britton of The Athletic, Mets beat reporter, joining us. Uh, interesting stuff. Go check out The Athletic, and uh, they have great deals over there. Uh, you could get in on a, a pretty sweet introductory offer if you haven't already. I'm sure a lot of you have. Uh, next steps for Harvey. I mean, I know the Mets are going to try to trade him. They're willing to, it sounds like, eat a lot of the salary. That's remaining, you know, maybe about four and a half, five million dollars remaining here on this uh, on this contract. Uh, can they get something, a bench piece, uh, somebody who's another team's problem? What do you think? Where where does this go? Uh, can they get a useful spare part at this point, even a bullpen arm, uh, a five or six, you know, four A type starter? What do what do you think this goes in the next couple of well, actually seven days, where they have to get Harvey somewhere or out of here as a, a releasing him? Yeah, I would not expect anything really of note coming back the other way. I think, uh, you know, the Mets would like to trade him and get something back. And the, the way to do that is basically to say, look, you know, once he hits free agency, which is what happens if they don't trade him, uh, he'll opt for free agency, uh, that, you know, 29 other teams can sign him. So if you're, if you're one of those teams that think, you know, we really like the, our chances of rehabilitating Matt Harvey, we want to, get, we want to take that opportunity with him. Uh, then you got to get to get to the front of the line. You just give up something, you know, relatively minor in value. The Mets will eat most of the salary. I, I still don't know that there's a team that that really makes sense to do that. I'm, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not sure of the roster implications of doing that. You know, I think a team that signs Matt Harvey can probably send him to the minor league a little bit more easily than a team that trades for him. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that works. I'm being frank. Uh, so I, I I think the likeliest outcome here is that uh, by by the weekend he is a a free agent and he kind of decides to sift through uh, different offers from different teams and kind of 
has teams kind of approach him with, with maybe a plan for how they think they can get him back. You know, I know uh, Dan Worthen, the old pitching coach, is in Texas now as an assistant uh, with the Rangers, and, and he was talking about how he thinks he can get Harvey back to where he was or, or at least has kind of an outline for how you can go about it and obviously has the history with him. Uh, maybe that's a place that makes more sense for Matt uh, than various other ones. So I, I don't – from the Mets, I'm not particularly optimistic that, that Matt Harvey is going to bear any more fruit for the, for the organization. So let's get to this team. Um, five and twelve, one half of the season, not half, but one part of the season. Twelve and two, eleven and one on the other half. A lot of extremes. I think you've seen a lot of extremes out of this team. Uh, I think they're about where you would have expected them to be, seventeen and fourteen, if you had sat down at the beginning of spring training or mid or late. It's okay. That's that's pretty fair. I know that the extremism of their season has bothered fans has brought up some questions in the media, you know, what what team are you looking at? Uh, is this team, you know, the old adage, it's never as good as you look, never as bad as you look, or are the current trends, in your opinion, uh, telling you a different picture and maybe this is more the 2017 team than the 2016 team, let's say, just use those two seasons in, in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think they're neither as good as they were the first two weeks nor as bad as they've been basically the three and a half, four weeks. I think there are certain things that are more concerning than others. Uh, I think Michael Conforto's struggles, I, you know, I, I wouldn't rank that number one, uh, but I think uh, given what he's coming off of with shoulder surgery and, and given what he went through at the start of the 2016 season, you know, that was a guy, especially the first week he was back in the lineup, it looked like he was not missing a beat. Uh, and that was really encouraging sign for the Mets. And he's he obviously struggled uh, in the time since then. He's got another day off on Sunday, kind of give him more of a mental break and maybe, you know, hopefully – going to some hitter-friendly ballparks in Cincinnati and Philadelphia starts him up again. I think more concerning is probably what's happened to the, the rotation behind Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom. Uh, those three starters, Zach Wheeler, Jason Vargas, and just a, a couple of starts. Uh, and Steven Matz, who pitched very well for them on Saturday night, uh, just haven't been kind of uh, – the, the, there hasn't been any consistency in the back end of the rotation. The ERA from those guys is something like five and a half to six. Uh, in starts that the Mets have gotten outside of Syndergaard and DeGrom. So while those two have pitched very well, and I think the Mets' record when they start, something like 9-5, and five. Uh, the other, they're under 500 in the other guys' starts. Uh, and that's, you know, when, when the Mets talked about their rotation coming into the season, it was, yeah, we, we, like, we love how our first two line up, but we really like the depth we have behind that, uh, and that hasn't come to play just yet. So I think, whereas, I think overall they're where you expected them to be, uh, it's a little concerning just that the starting rotation hasn't been the kind of strength that you expected it might be. Mickey Calloway was getting uh, a lot of praise in the first uh, two weeks, and, and now, obviously, this is his first, to borrow the old Pat Riley term from the winner within, Thunderbolt, so to speak. Uh, you know, he was questioned yesterday, are you ready to panic? And, and that was a direct question from one of the writers there. And he said no, and I agree with him. At this point, 30 games in, to panic, unless you're the Cincinnati Reds and you're 15, 16 games under 500, I don't think there's a reason to panic. But I think you're getting a little look as to the kind of manager or the kind of interaction that this guy believes is the right way to handle this kind of situation, these kind of rough patches, really even-keeled, balanced, never too high, never too low. Uh, that could be construed a couple of different ways. Obviously, fans get angry because they're angry and they want outrage, and that's not necessarily the way to go about it. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's been interesting to see kind of the, the distinction between him and someone like Terry Collins, who would give you that outrage uh, at certain times. And I, I remember, uh, you know, I did this obviously my first year covering the Mets, but I remember talking to Terry a couple of years back, uh, just at like the winter meeting. He said, part of being a manager in New York is knowing when you got to go after a team. 
uh, I don't think Callaway feels that way. And I, I think it's been interesting to see how it's played out uh, on the other, the other side of it during this, this losing streak. They've lost five in a row now. Because even when they were up, when they were 11-1 or 12-2, and he was very matter-of-fact about things. It wasn't like, you know, he, he, there weren't a lot of post-game smiles from him in the press conference. It was just kind of, you know, we're going about our business the right way, we're playing the right way, and we're getting rewarded with the results. And now he's saying we're going about our business the right way, we're playing the right way, we're not getting rewarded by the results. So he's been very even keel, and I think uh, that's, that's probably beneficial for a team in New York where you can, you can have some pretty high highs and some pretty low lows. So uh, I think he's trying to be kind of the ballast there, kind of keep them on an even keel throughout uh, what's going to be an up-and-down season, no doubt, uh, and certainly already has been. I mean, you, you've probably interacted with Terry Francona a hell of a lot more than I have, uh, but it seems like some of that is the culture of what he learned over in Cleveland. Is that fair to say, you know, you being a guy that covered the American League in the past? Yeah, and I, I covered Tito uh, for one year in Boston back in 2011, his last year there. Uh, and I, I think it is very much that same style of, you know, if you've got to have if you've got to have fire and brimstone, you've got to have tough talks with guys. You do it with those guys. You don't do it through the media, especially in a major market like Boston was for Francona, uh, like New York is for Callaway. Uh, so I, it seems like he, he's learned a lot from that school of managing. Uh, that the one that has, has served Francona so well in a few different stops now. So Tim, what's next for you? Obviously, you're over at the Athletic. You got great content on a daily basis. Yeah, Matt Harvey's been a big focus. Uh, what do you got coming up? Give the uh, those that are listening an idea if they're already Athletic subscribers or they're in thinking about it. What can a Mets fan expect from you over the next week? What are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at a couple different things. Kind of what's going on with Conforto, uh, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of, of where his swing is at right now, and whether it is something that, that's adequately worth concern. Uh, you know, I met Rosario and kind of. We've got another month of data on him and, and kind of his offensive approach uh, and how it's working out in different spots in the order. You know, he seemed to be more comfortable in the nine spot. Is there uh, an actual difference in how he's being pitched or anything like that? Uh, and then Noah Syndergaard, who, who takes the mound today, has been working on a couple of mechanical changes uh, in terms of his delivery and, and trying to stay closed up a little bit more to make his fastball and slider a little bit harder to differentiate between. So I'm um, interested in seeing how that plays out against the Rockies on Sunday, uh, maybe exploring that a little more in depth uh, as the week goes on. It'll be interesting how much rope they give Rosario and Adrian Gonzalez. Now that Harvey, they jumped the gun here to speak and got, got rid of him pretty quick, quicker than I thought. You wonder if those two guys, you know, one with a minor league assignment, the other one with potentially being uh, released as well. You wonder where the rope is with those two guys. That'd be interesting to watch, I would think, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, you know, when they, they made the announcement with Harvey on Friday, uh, I got a couple tweets right away that were just, okay, he's gone, next Reyes, next Gonzalez, that kind of thing, <laughs> which is kind of the uh, a bit of a, a little bit of bloodlust from a fan base during a, a tough stretch. Uh, I think with, with Gonzalez, you know, obviously we've seen Bruce play first base now a little bit. So if, if, I think if Bruce's bat picked up more and if the, the rest of the outfielders were hitting, if Nimmo and Lagares were hitting and Conforto is hitting, then Gonzalez's rope gets a little shorter. Uh, right now, you know, no one, he, he's slumping, but so are a couple other guys. And with Rosario, you know, I'm not sure who the next guy up is if they decide to send him down. I'm, you know, that, that leads to everyday shortstop Jose Reyes or something like that. Uh, I don't know if they have the next guy in line that really justifies that move uh, to them, uh, at least at this point. Hey, hey Tim, you, you've been generous with your time. I know you've got to get ready for a ball game. Thank you so much. Let's do it again. And everybody should really go check you out at The Athletic. Appreciate the time today on a Sunday. Oh, anytime. Thank you so much. That's uh, Tim Britton of The Athletic. 
good stuff. Listen, I know that nobody wants to pay for content, but uh, actually, it, they've you know they've developed over the last few months, and they got some really good stuff going on over there. So uh, check it out, uh, Tim. You can check out Tim on Twitter at. Tim Britton and over at The Athletic, Mets beat reporter for The Athletic. All right, let's wrap up. I'll take a quick break. When I return, I'll give you all the information about my WLIE appearance, uh, which you should continue to check out the New York Sports Wrap, regardless of whether I'm on or not, whether it's Rich Contino or Justin Walters. You know, you should check that out. So I'll be on there later tonight, and uh, we'll wrap up right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts. So uh, thank you, Tim Britton, for joining us. So a new voice to hear on the Talking Mets podcast. It's it's almost like a development system as you go along in this media world, which I've been a small part of for a decade now. You got to update your contact book. And Tim Britton is uh, a guy I reached out to. I was glad to have a chance to talk to him. And um, we'll see how that goes. I am working on a really cool guest. I'm hoping to have next week, which I don't even want to bring up now. Uh, it is a former player, former Mets player. I'm working on that, so I'll I'll keep that to myself for now. Uh, WLIE tonight, you can check me out on that. Um, WLIE 5:40 a.m. Rich Catino, our friend Rich Catino, uh, has the New York Sports Wrap. I've been I co-hosted last week with him. You can get those replays on the Talking Mets feed because I put them up even though it's not just Mets-centric content. You can listen live at 8.30 p.m. at WLAE 540. You know, those are the numbers, am.com, WLAE 540 am.com. Or you could go on Twitter at WLAE underscore radio 540 am. And uh, it'll be on replay. But if you, you don't have anything to do tonight and you want to listen to more sports talk and hear what I have to say, hear my Mets commentary, you want to hear uh, my thoughts on the Knicks and the Knicks hiring David Fisdale, you want to hear my thoughts on... The red-hot New York Yankees who had another big win, and Gleyber Torres basically uh, continuing his narrative uh, out there. So, of being this, uh, you know, wonder kid, and we'll talk about that. Uh, have Brandon, uh, have, excuse me, have Brendan Cunty of the uh, NJ.com joining me in uh, talking Yankees talk. I have uh, Tommy D. Uh, he'll be joining me in. Uh, later in that program. So uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. So check out WLAE 540 AM, and uh, we'll have some fun tonight. Rich Coutinho's on assignment. Rich will probably be calling in at some point, and uh, we'll talk Mets baseball, Knicks, Yankees, all the fun stuff. Of course, we're out of time. I want to thank Tim Britton. You can check out Tim over at The Athletic. Check that out, subscription site, some interesting stuff. I want to thank you, the listeners, 
for all that you do. Really appreciate it. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at a friends at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and The Grueling Truth over at the iHeart Media Network. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Talk to you soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.